When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we dive into our episode today, make sure you remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you're thinking of our current episodes. You can reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, if you want, you can email us. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. With that, let's get into our episode. Uh, Today, we are doing a mid-year check-in for the 2022 Professional Book Nerds Challenge. Who else would be here with me but Jill and Emma? Hi. 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 So we're going to check in on um, if we have anything that we've read, or also we're just going to give you some suggestions uh, from books that we think would check some of these boxes pretty neatly. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it's already July. So this is admittedly a little bit more than halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. But hopefully everyone's making good and steady progress on their 2022 reading challenge. And these suggestions are hopefully helpful to help you meet those categories. We love to see it. Um, still can't believe it's July. And the next time I say that, we'll be like wrapping this up for the year and introducing the uh, 2023 challenge. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't even think about 2023 yet. <sighs> Me either. I'd rather not right now. So um, I think I have, I I couldn't get down to five books. I think I have six. So can I oh, start us you. off? I know. No. So rude. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> So my first book uh, suggestion fits under the read a 2021 debut that you didn't read in 2021. And this is Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. An ambitious mother puts her art career on hold to stay home with her newborn son, but the experience does not match her imagination. Two years later, she steps into the bathroom for a break from her toddler's demands, only to discover a dense patch of hair on the back of her neck. In the mirror, her canines suddenly look sharper than she remembers. Her husband, who travels for work five days a week, casually dismisses her fears from faraway hotel rooms. As the mother's symptoms intensify and her temptation to give in to her new dog impulses peak, she struggles to keep her alter canine identity secret. Seeking a cure at the library, she discovers the mysterious academic tome, which becomes her Bible. It's called A Field Guide to Magical Women, a Mythical Ethnography. And she meets a group of mommies involved in a multi-level marketing scheme who may also be more than what they seem. So this is outrageous. It's Kafka-esque. It's very metamorphosis. Um, It has ideas about art, power, and womanhood wrapped in satirical fairy tale. So that is Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. I very clearly remember this cover. Right. It's a, it's a weird one. It's got that like fifties, sixties, uh, 
advertising vibe. So it's very like drawn, just fresh meat on the page. I can go next for the same category. So my suggestion for a 2021 debut that I did not read last year is also one that I have seen on book talk. So you can maybe chuck two boxes there, but it's the first day of spring by Nancy Tucker. I know that she had written some nonfiction before, but this was her fiction debut last year. This story follows eight-year-old Chrissy uh, at the start of the book, and she's just killed a boy. So quite an, uh, an introduction. She sort of rules the roost at school. She's the best at wall walking. She knows how to get free candy. And now she has a feeling of power that she never gets at home where food is scarce and attention is scarcer. The book goes forward 20 years later, where you have adult Chrissy, who is living under a new name, kind of in hiding. She's a single mother, and she wants to be able to provide for her daughter the childhood that she herself was not ever able to have. And she starts receiving threatening phone calls, which are really scary. People are looking for them. The past is catching up. And Chrissy fears that the only thing in the world that she cares about, her child, is something that is now at stake. So this goes between the past and the present, which I do love in a suspense thriller story where the two timelines kind of converge as you figure out everything that's happened. I do know that this book is pretty grim, so I don't think this is for the faint of heart. Obviously, if it starts out with such a gruesome topic right off the bat. Um, so keep that in mind. I think that this is a pretty, pretty dark book. Um, all things considered there are flowers on the cover, but I think that's very intentional. And so that was the first day of spring by Nancy Tucker. And again, pretty, pretty dark. So proceed with caution on that one. I mean, sometimes you just really want a dark book. Yeah. You, I mean, you so. do this I kind of immediately thought of um, Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter, just because that is one of the most grim books I've ever read, which was also oh, yeah. so good, but certainly not everybody's taste. So bear that That's in fair. mind. Yeah. Uh, so I also have a book for the 2021 debut, and that is Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody. And this is one of those books where I don't know how I didn't read this in 2021, because uh, it feels very much like a book I would enjoy. So raised on an island off Massachusetts by a mother who wrote songs for famous musicians, Jane Quinn is singing in her own band before she's old enough to even read music. When folk legend Jesse Reed hears about Jane's performance at the island's music festival, a star is born, and so is a passionate love affair. They become inseparable when her band joins his on tour. Wary of being cast as his girlfriend and haunted by her mother's shattered ambitions, Jane shields her relationship from the public eye, but Jesse's star power pulls her into his orbit of fame. Caught up in the thrill of the road and the profound and lustful connection she has with Jesse, Jane is blindsided by the discovery she makes about her about the dark secret beneath his music. Heartbroken and blackballed by the industry, Jane is now truly on her own to make the music she loves and to make peace with her family, shot through the lyrics, the icons, the lore, the adrenaline of the early 1970s music scene. Um, okay, so first, 
my love for Daisy Jones and the Six is well established in any book like that. Also, I love any book. The fact that they're like in the description is a star is born. And this feels very much like every iteration of a star is born, like all four versions of the movie or however many there are. Um, so yeah, songs and Ursa Major. I am, I'm here for this 2021 debut. I did not read, but will be soon. You you got me with a star is born. I won't lie. Right? <laughs> Between Bradley and Gaga, how could I? Know, I know. I'm. I'm just not? like. But all four versions. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, Bradley. Bradley and Stephanie. We love that movie. We stand it, and we this stand. Is, we stand Bradley and Stephanie. <laughs> oh, bring them together and all the time. Make her the new J Law to Bradley. Got it. Yes. Um. So yeah. So my next section is read a classic book you weren't assigned in high school. Uh, This is the one I will be reading to fill this category out. I can't believe I never read it in school, but the weird thing about the like honors plus AP track is that sometimes you miss out on the books that like everyone read. And that was definitely the case for me. So I have never read Lord of the Flies by William Golding. So if you don't know what Lord of the Flies is about, I would be surprised, but hey, uh, at the dawn of the next world war, a plane crashes on an uncharted island, stranding a group of schoolboys. At first, with no adult supervision, their freedom is something to celebrate. But as order collapses, as strange howls echo in the night, as terror begins to reign, the hope of adventure seems as far removed from reality as the hope of being rescued. So originally from the 50s, kind of a classic on everyone's lists but when I was looking through lists of classics I was like yeah I read most of these but this one it was either this or Dracula <laughs> those are the like two glaring holes in my classics list I've never read Dracula okay see that's fair I read it in co- or not college in grad school not oh, in wow. high school we read it in doppelgangers class in graduate school <laughs> okay okay Mm -hmm. that was a fun class doppelgangers dracula i believe was part of the split where you either went honors or ap in my high school so the honors kids read dracula Mm -hmm. but we read who knows something else (laughs) same with lord of the flies was another one of those weird splits i never read lord of the flies in school either i did i almost I don't remember what year I read it, but I definitely have read Lord of the Flies. It was probably like freshman or sophomore year. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, Emma, so much required reading uh, when we're on that like English track. Yeah. yeah. So um, true. Through high school, college, grad school. Um, so yeah, for this category, I actually picked Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. I I actually did read this in high school, but I didn't read it for school. So, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and I feel like this is hit or miss, like on, on curriculum for classics, like people either read it or they don't. So I would recommend Weathering Heights by Emily Bronte. This is a tale of two families joined and riven by love and hate. Kathy is a beautiful and willful young woman torn between her soft-hearted husband and Heathcliff, the passionate and resentful man who has loved her since childhood. 
The power of their bond creates a maelstrom of cruelty and violence, which will leave one of them dead and cast a shadow over the lives of their children. I will also say I love the book descriptions on the various editions of classics because Mm -hmm. they're all so different. Uh, But yes, this is essentially a love story with lots of brooding on the moors. And I think it's a good classic. There are parts of it that are great and parts of it that are not. But yeah, it's it's a love story the way Twilight is kind of a love story. (laughs) Yeah. What obsession a tale yeah, of sure. obsession is maybe tale more obsession. fitting. Passion. Yeah. yeah. Like that like obsessive passion that yeah. I, I did read this and again I don't remember high school, maybe college. Yeah. I really don't remember, but I've definitely read it. I know um, I read it, but it wasn't school reading. But yeah, 1847. Wow. So I was just I, I, laughing at the the juxtaposition of a name like Heathcliff and a name like <laughs> Kathy. <laughs> Like they're just well, yes. well Catherine, Catherine, yes, but yes, the still. well, yes, because Kathy, I feel like is still pretty modern, right? But I a name. find that like sometimes people are just named Kathy compared to like short I for. Anyway. I know I don't know any Heathcliffs. <laughs> right. One stood the test of time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, A Weathering Heights by Emily Bronte is my classic pick. So I did not pick one for the classic. Um, Yeah, we should say that as now that we're like several categories in, but we, this will be a big mix of different categories for the, the challenge. So you'll, you'll get a a widespread. Um, and I did pick one for the um, category on reading a book that deals with mental health issues. I actually picked an anthology for this one called Don't Call Me Crazy. It's edited by Kelly Jensen, who works for Book Riot and has edited other phenomenal um, anthologies. So this sort of asks the questions like, what does it mean to be crazy? Is using the word crazy offensive? Um, what happens when a label like that gets attached to your everyday life experiences? And so to understand mental health, we need to talk openly about it because there's no single definition of crazy. There's no single experience that embodies it. And the word itself means different things to different people. In Don't Call Me Crazy, 33 actors, athletes, writers, and artists offer essays, lists, comics, and illustrations that explore a wide range of topics, including their personal experiences with mental illness, how we do and don't talk about mental health, help for better understanding how every person's brain is wired differently and what exactly might make someone crazy. I love this anthology because it really does have a huge mix of contributors and it just sort of looks at the topic of mental health from very different but also personal experiences because you know to the point of the description it looks different for everybody and everyone's experiences of how it sort of manifests is different for everybody um and I just the idea of like, you're not alone in feeling what you feel. And there are people who've had very similar experiences to you and just having it all in one place to sort of start those conversations about being open about everyone's different um, history with dealing with mental health. 
That sounds incredibly powerful. And yeah, I really like the the vast amount of representation, seeing so many names in one anthology. Yes. Yeah. So for my next section, I'm going to go under the read a book by a trans author section. This is a little sneak preview of a book I'm looking forward to coming out in September of 2022, September 6th specifically. This is The Sunbearer Trials by Aiden Thomas. Um, I loved Cemetery Boys, fantastic book written by Aiden, and uh, I'm super excited to see this series start. And let's see. So only the most powerful and honorable semi-dioses get chosen. I'm just a jade. I'm not a real hero. As each new decade begins, the sun's power must be replenished so that soul can keep traveling along the sky and keep the chaotic obsidian gods at bay. Soul selects 10 of the worthiest semi-dioses to compete in the Sunbearer Trials. The winner carries light and life to the temples of Riano del Sol, but the loser has the greatest honor of all. They will be sacrificed to Sol, their body melted down to refuel the sunstones, protecting the world for another 10 years. Tio, a 17-year-old Jade Semidios, and the trans son of, a go- of the goddess of birds, isn't worried about the trials, at least not for himself. His, bre- his best friend, Nia, is a gold semidios and a shoe-in for the trials, and while he trusts her abilities, the odds of becoming the sacrifice is one in ten. But then for the first time in over a century, the impossible happens. Sol chooses not one, but two jade competitors, Tio and Zio, the 13-year-old child of the god of bad luck. Now they must compete in five trials against golden opponents who are more powerful and better trained. Worst of all, Tio's annoyingly handsome ex-best friend and famous hero, Aurelio, is favored to win. Tio is determined to get himself and his friends through the trials unscathed for fame, glory, and their own survival. And that is the Sunbearer Trials. This will be a duology, so um, that is coming out September 6th. Something to look forward to by a trans author. And I love me a YA series. So (laughs) like, ooh, it's it's mythical and magical. Shocker, Joe's the one shouting it out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, we each have our things that we like and enjoy. Shout away. (laughs) I'm screaming. I was going to say I can go next because I also have a book um, for this. Uh, particular challenge of reading a book by a trans author and that is just like home by uh, non-binary author Sarah Gailey okay I don't want to talk too much specifically because I did just talk about this in our July book picks episode so this comes out um, July 19th I will tell you that I read an arc of this over the weekend and it is delightful in like a creepy way if that makes sense. So this is about Vera. Vera um, is the daughter of a serial killer. Her mother is dying and calls Vera home. Vera has a very strained relationship with her mom, but her mom's going to need help, you know, like cleaning out their house, um, the Crowder house after her mom's death. So she goes to sort of check on her mom and start that process. Her mom has had an artist um, move in to the house, uh, her mom has sort of like hosted artists and writers over the years um, to be like, please take inspiration from this home built by a serial killer. And this particular artist is a little fierce, like, I'm not so sure about you. And um, 
at like the longer Vera is there, she starts getting these kind of um, messages that look like they're torn from a notebook or a journal. They're in her father's handwriting, and it's it it was so good. I, this was my first Sarah Gailey book. I I know they've written several others, all of which are very highly acclaimed, um, and this is one where I'm like, well, I need to go read the rest of all of their books because this was amazing. Um, and I just, this idea of like, yeah, home serial killer daughter coming home is uh, so good. So again, yeah, that is just like home by Sarah Gailey. Yay. That sounds great. And I love the cover because I'm basic and just like the cover. So, <laughs> Actually, I've noticed like Sarah Gailey, all of their books tend to have simplistic, but mm -hmm. very evocative covers that you, they definitely, have, there's a vibe. There's a vibe. Yeah. There is a it's, vibe. There's yeah. a vibe to all of their covers of their books. Um, Flat monochromatic background, striking image in the center. Yeah. Just, like, you know, simple Good. font choice and like simple, I just mean like not intricate um or decor like decorative um yeah so good and I love anything that's like millennial pink yeah so yes, <laughs> yes. it was really good yes. I have a pick for our category on the challenge about reading a book written in the second person and I am actually going to suggest the audiobook for this one I'm pretty sure it's second person even though there it it is because it is it was, uh, when I was looking for second person books, it was on the okay. some of the lists I was looking at. <laughs> I'm, I I haven't read it in uh, several years, but I'm almost positive. But it's You by Carolyn Kepnes, and if you haven't heard of this for some reason, um, I highly recommend you try the audiobook version of the first book of of this series, I guess, by Carolyn Kepnes, because the narrator is Santino Fontana. And my gosh, this man's voice is wonderful. And he does such a good job. And if you don't know who Santino Fontana is, he's on Broadway a lot. He was the voice of Prince Hans in Frozen. He was in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He was Greg. Uh, I love him. He's wonderful. But he really, really sold me on this whole book through the audio. So this book, in case you don't know, it's also a TV show on Netflix. There's several, sev several seasons and many, many books, uh, but this is the start. And this story follows Joe Goldberg, who works at a bookstore in the East Village. And he, his whole life changes when Guinevere Beck, an aspiring writer, comes into the bookstore and he falls in love with her instantly. Um, but this is also kind of love in the twilight sense in that this is uh, obsessive and harmful and scary. He pretty much then spends the whole rest of the book inserting himself into her life. And man, is this creepy. This is super compulsive. You'll literally read this in a sitting or listen to it in one go because he truly transforms himself into Beck's perfect man. And you can see everything from his perspective where 
it looks cute for her, but it's absolutely horrifying for him. And this is one of the best books I've read in the last several years, just because I really felt torn in my allegiance because there are times where you're like rooting for Joe. I don't want to say, I'll say rooting for, and that's horrifying because he is not a great person. So check this out. If you want something that's really compelling, will really keep you gripped, will make you question your own values. It's you by Carolyn Kepnes. There is another book called Hidden Bodies. And then the third book just came out in 2021 and it's called You Love Me. So if you enjoy the character of Joe Goldberg, there's two more books that you can listen to Santino through. So definitely recommend. This this book is a head trip because mm-hmm. yeah, you start to sort of almost emphasize with him and you sort of and I think like that's sort of the whole point obviously um you know this doesn't necessarily like glamorize that obsessive love that we've talked about but almost is I guess puts a different spin on it because you see you're like no this isn't right and yet somehow I'm yes like rooting for you or you're like no that that makes perfect sense, Joe. I totally understand <laughs> why you did that thing, even though it is horrifying. But yeah. you have explained it well. And I'm like, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's yeah. just, absolutely it, it's it is a it it messes with you when you like start to think about it as you're reading or after the fact. You're like, mm-hmm. wow. It really I'm... does. And I think credit to the show because the show is a really unique interpretation I think of the stories that Caroline Kepnes has put forth and there is a point where the show is diverged from the books but I think with the first book it's a I do think to your point Jill it really doesn't glamorize it I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe as much as the show kind of it doesn't the show doesn't make it like yes everyone do this but I think that the the book is a little bit more clear that like it's immediately creepy. It's immediately something's off. Whereas I feel like maybe with the show, that was a little bit less at the immediate onset. Forefront, yeah. Like, right. Like at episode one, it was maybe a little bit more questionable. Whereas with the book, I do feel like pretty quickly you've established it's been made pretty clear yeah yeah i I, I would also say like to your point of putting like the fact that this is told in second person that doesn't translate for the show because joe is the main character in the show and you know that the the big translation of of book to screen is that loss of of kind of like narrator driven content that really separates out yeah you have to place your own judgments in the show but the show is full of like beautiful people doing terrible things which is every show so you're a little less apt to and and there are some real differences in terms of the actual plot of the book and the show so if you think you know where things are going because you've seen the show and you haven't read the books I would still encourage you checking it out because the there are some things there that 
would be surprising uh, if you think that they're exactly the same as is the television adaptation. So, and, and I, I think like the tense element of it being directly addressed to you is part of what is so trippy about it because you're the whole thing of like second person is that it is addressing you. And so like, you sort of as a reader kind of internalize that as you yourself but you're reading about this like creepy it's it is a it it messes with your brain I don't know how she did it this is just one of those books where you're like you can do this once yeah really really well and not a lot of people can do that or replicate it because it's just it's so it's such a head trip yeah it's that's why I mean that's why you don't see every book written in second person but it's really well done and again the audiobook with Santino Fontana I will rave about for the next 50 years because it was fantastic and I'm not a huge audiobook listener because I just have a hard time paying attention but this was one where I was actively like not paying attention to other things so I could listen to his narration so definitely check that out so I am going to hop into, surprising for me, the read a romance category. <laughs> and my recommendation, I have I have two for this category, but I'll start with my first. This is The Feeling of Falling in Love by Mason Deaver. So it's a YA romance. It's coming out next month, August 16th. Perfect for fans of Red, White, and Royal Blue or What If It's Us. Um, and so just days before spring break, Neil Kearney is set to fly across the country with his childhood friend and current friends with benefits, Josh, to attend his brother's wedding until Josh tells Neil that he's in love with him and Neil doesn't return the sentiment. With Josh still attending the wedding, Neil needs to find a new date to bring along. Almost against his will, Neil's roommate Wyatt is drafted. At first, Wyatt correctly thinks Neil is acting like a jerk. But when they get to L.A., Wyatt sees a little more of where it's coming from. Slowly, Neil and Wyatt begin to understand one another and maybe, just maybe, fall in love for the first time. Um, I also love this cover. It is millennial pink and it's a dumpster fire with a person climbing into it. So, I mean, little little too nail on the head, but <laughs> it's great. And that is The Feeling of Falling in Love by Mason Deaver out august 16th so good we love a millennium pink cover can't be mad at it i refuse <laughs> to be mad at it <laughs> i also have a romance which is delilah green doesn't care by ashley herring blake so excited okay it's not millennium pink but it is purple and um you have like one plus size first it's sapphic we love sapphic we love two women falling in love one is plus size, one is covered in tattoos. What's not to be all about this? So Delilah Green swore she would never go back to Bright Falls. Nothing is there for her but memories of a lonely childhood when she was little more than a burden to her cold and distant stepfamily. Her life is in New York with her photography career finally gaining steam and her bed never empty. Sure, it's a different woman every night, but that's just fine with her. And Delilah's estranged stepsister, Astrid, pressures her into photographing her wedding with a guilt trip and a five-figure check. Delilah finds herself back in the godforsaken town that she used to call home. She plans to breathe in and out, but then she sees Claire Sutherland, 
one of Astrid's stuck-up besties and decides that maybe there's some fun and a little retribution to be had in Bright Falls. Having raised her 11-year-old daughter mostly on her own while dealing with her unreliable ex and running a bookstore, Claire Sutherland depends upon a life without surprises. And Delilah Green is an unwelcome surprise at first. Though they've known each other for years, they don't really know each other. So Claire is unsettled when Delilah figures out exactly what buttons to push. When they're forced together during a gauntlet of wedding preparations, including a plot to save Astrid from her horrible fiance, Claire isn't sure she has the strength to resist Delilah's charms. Even worse, she's starting to think she doesn't want to. Love everything. In um, Ashley Herring Blake also has a second book in this sort of, this is one of those series where um, different couples in the same small town. Um, she has another one coming out, uh, I think this summer. I will not give the title because it's a little bit spoilery based on this one I just told you about. So read this first and then you can read the second one. <laughs> um, and then she has more. I know she has more planned. So that is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. Yay. I also have a pick for a romance because of course I do. My suggestion for this category is a 2022 debut. It's Every Summer After by Carly Fortune. They say you can never go home again. And for Persephone or Percy Frazier, ever since she made the biggest mistake of her life a decade ago, that has felt too true. Instead of glittering summers on the lakeshore of her childhood, she spends them in a stylish apartment in the city, going out with friends and keeping everyone a safe distance from her heart. Until she receives a call that sends her racing back to Barry's Bay and into the orbit of Sam Florick, the man she never thought she'd have to live without. For six summers, through hazy afternoons on the water and warm summer nights working in his family's restaurant and curling up together with books, medical textbooks for him, and work-in-progress horror short stories for her, Percy and Sam had been inseparable. Eventually, that friendship turned into something breathtakingly more before it fell spectacularly apart. When Percy returns to the lake for Sam's mother's funeral, their connection is as undeniable as it had always been. But until Percy can confront the decisions she made and the years she spent punishing herself for them, they'll never know whether their love might be bigger than the biggest mistakes of their past. Told over the course of six years and one weekend, every summer after is a big, sweeping, nostalgic story of love and the people and the choices that mark us forever. This book was so great for summer. Highly recommend. Love, 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 love. So good. Swoony. Sounds like a great summer read. I'm like Seriously. swoony. That's all. Swoon. <laughs> Swoon. Swoon. Oh, you really need Swoon. Mm-hmm. They're like, they meet when they're teens. They're at a lake. They spend the summer. Like I, I love a good summer romance. And I think that this goes all the way back to when I was reading like Sarah Dessen books as a teen where they largely take place over the summer and that there's nothing better than that like summer love oh it's so good so (laughs) every summer after by Carly Fortune and Emily Henry you know our fave said that this is a radiant debut so honestly that alone I was like yeah I'll read that (laughs) that's all you need uh yeah I'll read that but I also as well did see this on 
Instagram a lot and book talk. And one of our colleagues, Kate recommended it to me immediately upon finishing it. So I heard about it from several sources, but definitely recommend. Love that. Okay. So shock upon shock. I didn't just have one romance title. I have two. So here's another YA romance. It's already out. This is Right Where I Left You by Julian Winters. Isaac Martin is ready to kick off summer, his last before heading off to college in the fall where he won't have his best friend Diego, where despite his social anxiety, he'll be left to make friends on his own. Knowing his time with Diego is limited, Isaac enacts a foolproof plan. Snatch up a pair of badges for the epic comic convention, Legends Con, and attend his first ever teen pride, just him and Diego. But when an unexpected run-in with Davi, Isaac's old crush, distracts him the day tickets go on sale, suddenly he's two badges short of a perfect summer. Even worse, now he's left to Diego by hanging out with him and his gamer buddies. Decidedly not a part of the original plan. It's not all bad, though. Some of Diego's friends turn out to be pretty cool. And when things with Davi start heating up, Isaac is almost able to forget about his legend con blunder. Almost. Because then Diego finds out what really happened that day with Davi, and their friendship lands on thin ice. Isaac assumes he's upset about missing the convention, but could Diego have other reasons for avoiding Isaac? I mean, read it and find out. That's Right Where I Left You by Julian Winters. Get another romance title on that list. Dun, dun, dun. Friends to lovers? From me? <laughs> what are you going to do? Got, yeah, perhaps. Okay, so shifting away from romance, I have a pick for the topic of read a nonfiction book by a woman in tech, and that is Uncanny Valley, a memoir by Anna Weiner. In her mid-20s, at the height of tech industry idealism, Anna, stuck, broke, and looking for meaning in her work like any good millennial, left a job in book publishing for the promise of the new digital economy. She moved from New York to San Francisco, where she landed at a big data startup at the heart of the Silicon Valley bubble. A world of surreal extravagance, dubious success, and fresh-faced entrepreneurs hell-bent on domination, glory, and of course, progress. Anna arrived amidst a massive cultural shift as the tech industry rapidly transformed into a locus of wealth and power rivaling Wall Street. But amid the company's ski vacations and in-office speakeasies, boyish camaraderie and ride-or-die corporate fealty, a new Silicon Valley began to emerge, one in far over its head, one that enriched itself at the expense of the idyllic future it claimed to be building. Part coming-of-age story, part portrait of an already bygone era, Anna's memoir is a rare first-person glimpse into high-flying, reckless startup culture at a time of unchecked ambition, unregulated surveillance, wild fortune, and accelerating political power. With wit, candor, and heart, Anna definitely charts the tech industry's shift from self-appointed world savior to democracy endangering liability alongside a personal narrative of aspiration, ambivalence, and disillusionment. So obviously as the person who like puts together the 2022 reading challenge list with some crowdsourcing help from overdrive employees, I specifically put this... Um, women like nonfiction women in tech because women in tech are so underrepresented in the tech industry and so it was important for me to encourage all of the pbn listeners to read a book by women in tech nonfiction specifically <laughs> so memoirs like uncanny valley 
is perfect for it. Also has a fun cover, which I, I enjoy. There's a vibe to it. There's a vibe to this cover. <laughs> no, I was so glad uh, when the list went up and this was the call out. Like, it's so important, you know, just like we're we're calling to hope to see women in STEM, just to see those numbers increasing over and over. It's so helpful to see where we're coming from to help steer where we're going. Um, I, I yep. love this. I also yeah. love the concept of the uncanny valley, uh, yes. just in general, because it really trips your brain. Uh, separate thing entirely. Anyway. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And to close this off, I'm going to do my last suggestion from the category of a book that you saw on Book Talk with The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. This is a series. The third book comes out in August of this year. So we've got like a month and a half, I think, until that book comes out. But I saw this on Book Talk. Somebody said that The Inheritance Games was a perfect book and they read it in a day. And so that 1000% influenced me to read it right then and there. Um, And it had been on my TBR for a while. But The Inheritance Games is the first book in the series and it follows Avery Grahams, who pretty much just wants to survive high school and get a scholarship and go to college and kind of be done uh, with the life that she's used to. Her mother recently passed away. And so she really does have to rely on her own skills to try to get a scholarship. And her sister, uh, her older sister is there to kind of help her. But again, like siblings raising siblings. And so there's a little bit of an interesting sibling dynamic there where you're sort of put into like a parenting situation before you're ready. Um, But anyways, Avery just wants to get good grades, get a scholarship and get out. And instead her entire life changes when she gets a letter and a very handsome young man shows up at her school claiming that she has been included in the will of a billionaire who has passed away named Tobias Hawthorne. And she has absolutely no idea who this man is. She never met him, has no clue why she would be included in any aspect of his will. But unfortunately, part of the process is that she has to fly to Texas to physically be at the estate for the will reading. So her and her sister, like pack a bag, go to Texas, expecting to get nothing like or some weird trinket like from this person they've never met. And instead, Avery inherits everything instead of his family. So she inherits Hawthorne House, the very estate that they are reading the will in, that all of the family lives in. She's not allowed to kick them out. And there are a few terms to her inheriting everything that she has to abide by. So she has to live in Hawthorne House for a set amount of time. She can't be away from it for more than, you know, certain amount of hours. And she has to live under this roof with everybody that she replaced uh, in the will. So his children, his grandsons, there are very conveniently four Hawthorne grandsons who are all brilliant, who are all hunky, who all have their own skills. And Avery is really like thrown into a situation. She has absolutely no idea how to navigate as I feel like you would as a teenager who inherits billions surrounded by enemies on all sides. But 
one of the grandsons, Grayson, is convinced that Avery is a con woman. Like, surely she must have done something to trick their grandfather or, you know, there's something nefarious there. And his other brother, the other grandson, Jameson, just assumes that it's like their grandfather's last hurrah. Their grandfather was really into riddles and clues a little bit Winchester mystery house, you know, where there's like secret passages and hallways and like libraries upon libraries in the estate. So there's like danger here. There's wealth. There's a little bit of a love triangle. There's like puzzle pieces trying to figure out why the heck this man left this seemingly random girl, all of his fortune. And so the inheritance games is, I literally read it in a day. And I have a small child, so that is hard to do, Uh, but it's great. The second book is the Hawthorne legacy. And then again, the third book, the final one in the trilogy that comes out in August is called the final gambit. So, so, so good. The end. You got me when you said Winchester mystery house, but it also gives me strong knives Knives out. out. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Very, Very knives out, even though I've never seen knives out. Oh, but yes, uh, like one of us is lying. You would like it, Chris Evans. Out. Oh, Chris Evans. <laughs> in a cable, in a cable knit sweater. Cable knit sweater. Um, but yes, the the covers of these are also really compelling. If you love like putting together puzzles, piecing together clues, this is like a thriller mystery that you really do put together mm-hmm. like riddles, I feel like. And not every mystery or thriller is like that where you're actively trying to solve what is happening or yeah. pick up on those Easter eggs or even like the things on the cover where you're like, oh, this is surely oh. a piece of the a piece of the puzzle. Uh, these are YA, but the characters are mostly upper teens and into their early 20s so I think a little bit of wiggle room for YA new adult I like that a lot that sounds like so much fun I mean all the right vibes and I love that it's a series as well and YA something about the summer just always turns me into every every YA book imaginable it's those those good old memories so my last book is also from Book Talk, and I believe this is our final book of the episode. Um, I just have so many videos saved to my phone of books that Book Talk is telling me you need to read this, and we'll just have to record like a part two to that episode where you know I can delete some screenshots and videos from my phone. But for now, I'll just leave you on one most recent recommendation from Book Talk. This is Blood Scion by Deborah Filei. I'm going to get real close into the microphone for this. This is what they deserve. They wanted me to be a monster. I will be the worst monster they ever created. Old Sloan can incinerate an enemy at will. She is a scion, a descendant of the ancient Orisha gods. Under the Lucy's brutal rule, her identity means her death if her powers are discovered. But when she is forcibly conscripted into the Lucy's army on her 15th birthday, Sloane sees a new opportunity to overcome the bloody challenges of the Lucy's training and destroy them from within. 
So this follows one girl's journey of magic, injustice, power, and revenge. It's Deborah's debut novel. It's inspired by Yoruba Nigerian mythology. And it's a really cool combination, like great if you like Children of Blood and Bone and An Ember in the Ashes. So that is Blood Scion by Deborah Falei. And that wraps up. Right? (laughs) That wraps up our little episode. Some suggestions for y'all. If you are working through the challenge and you were hitting some tough spots on the list, uh, let us know on social media or via email what you are currently checked off on your list. Honestly, you know, post it to your story uh, and tag us. Let us know at ProBookNerds how far you've made it so far, a little past our mid-year check-in here. We'd love to see what you're reading and uh, hopefully you've got some great recommendations to fill out that sheet from us today. With that, thank you all so much for joining us today for this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and happy reading. Bye. Bye. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big-